politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Paul Revere's to the one and only Conservative Review podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house for the great American Second Revolution. And folks, I had the pleasure of meeting some of you last night at a virtual town hall put together by our buddy Mark Meckler of the Convention of the States Project. Um, some, so many of you who plan to open your business, who plan to exercise your constitutional rights in honor of Memorial Day. And as we head into July 4th, Freedom Friday, go to openthestates.com. You could find out more information there. I uh, use hashtag Freedom Friday on Twitter. This is our right given by God. This is our country. This is our republic. We will take it back. So we're going to go through an assortment of stuff today, science stuff, political stuff, kind of tie it all together where we are, state of play. Um, We continue to see the trend of America being by far worse, more tyrannical, more anti-science, more anti-individual rights than socialist European countries. It it is truly a shocking phenomenon. Uh, Fairfax County, Virginia, um, barely any deaths for a population of a million people, almost all in nursing homes, by the way. They canceled all summer activities and camps for all school-age children for the rest of the summer. No threat, meaningful level of threat beyond getting into a car, and certainly less than the flu for school-age children. And yet, they continue to do this. My county, my area is continuing to ban everything. Um, While Denmark is actually almost planning to open their border, international border. That's like the final step on June 1st. Even Italy is opening up. And more and more, as we find the science behind this to be fraudulent, the data, the trends, the timing, everything we ever said on this since January, February, and March has been proven correct, the more they sink their teeth into this because they have no other choice. This is the way they control us. See, notice the answer to everything is what? More surveillance, more restriction on liberty, more poverty, more dependency on government. Let me tell you something. Those of you who are longtime listeners to this show, I, I know we have a lot of new listeners the last couple of months. I'm really thankful for that. So for you guys, I want to review a little bit a project we worked on here for two years. And it, it really was... As you guys well know, one of my proudest moments, the proudest work I've done in my career, although the work we've done on this is now rivaling that, but the two work together, and that is the so-called opioid crisis. The modus operandi of government to put out distortion when the data, the math, the timing, and the trends refute everything they're saying, they implement the idea that not only has more collateral damage, but actually worsens the very thing they say they're solving because the uh, the point is you cannot solve a problem before you properly diagnose and identify the characteristics of it the the proper scope the nature of who it affects who it doesn't and then that's how you tailor design your response it's true of everything in life you have to target your response you can't kill an ant with a nuclear bomb 
okay? You can't hit a fly in your house with a baseball bat because you're going to break things, and you know what? You're, you're probably not going to kill the fly. You have to use the right tools, but you have to have the right information. And as you guys well know, I, I was very passionate on this, and I jumped into the sea before anyone else did. I went up against the entire CDC medical establishment and everything, and now it's, it's scientific law. It's pure math what I was saying. They all of a sudden, all of a sudden we saw people starting to drop dead like flies around 2014, but really accelerating in 2015 and 2016 of drug overdoses. And, you know, it, it, it clearly something was going on, but what was going on? And our government went and just went nuts. The states, the feds, there's an opioid crisis, a prescription drug crisis. So the implication of that was that you know, doctors are prescribing a bunch of prescription drugs and people are just overdosing on those prescriptions. Normal run-of-the-mill people who, who are, you know, not mentally ill or have mental health problems, just regular, sta- stable, successful people, uh, you know, surgeries or long-term chronic care, and they just take this stuff and they just die. And a bunch of things raised my antenna on this because I followed this issue from many different perspectives, not just the healthcare side, which really was not the main issue, but from the drug trafficking, criminal justice side, and from the border and sanctuary side. The drugs come from the border. They're networked at a primary level, mainly by illegal alien trafficking networks, and they are harbored in the big hubs by sanctuary cities that that shield them from ICE detection so their networks are not busted up. And then that allows them to operate undetected. And therefore, that allows them to create a lucrative network and really drive down the prices of illicit drugs. And what I found, I said, wait a minute. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor. But simple math. I went through the math and I said, wait a minute. There's literally a crisscross. It's the exact opposite of what they said. The, the prescription opioids had already been choked back in 2010. The peak deaths had already gone down for several years from prescriptions, yet the overall deaths skyrocketed long after they missed the boat. And then I was like, aha, they're not dying of prescription drugs at all in any meaningful way. It's all illicit drugs and the prescription drugs the ones that abuse it they're abusers they're not users they're the same people overdosing on heroin so they get steal someone's you know prescriptions too and they have mental health problems but that, that that's a mental health problem just like because we have a drunk driving problem you don't shut down all cars and destroy people's lives so eventually cdc had to retract their reports we called them out on it and now it's become clear that what happened was that it was an amalgamation of factors where they choked off prescriptions. They had open borders and DACA under Obama that flooded traffickers and really juiced up the cartel networks. And then they went and um, you had the advent of sanctuary cities. And that's what happened. And then the other ingredient is criminal justice reform, where they start said it's immoral to lock up drug traffickers. So we let them go. Now, there's only a certain amount of really professional guys that know what they're doing in this business. You let them out or you prospectively 
give off the message that you're not going to lock them up. There's no deterrent. So we had a massive illicit drug crisis. It, and, and like we noted, it wasn't even opioid-based ones. The, the biggest ones eventually were cocaine and meth, which are actually psychostimulants, which are the exact opposite of a depressant. So they completely misdiagnosed it. It's like someone who goes to a doctor with, um, you know, a, a, a gout in their toe, and then you, you like, or, or let, let me say the opposite, goes to the doctor with a brain tumor, and the doctor goes and chops off his toe. So you actually did not treat the real problem, and then you created a new problem. And that's what they did. And, you know, we had on this program, you could Google it, Daniel Horowitz, um, Virginia Krieger, Angel Mom. I forget which episode it was. It was a couple months ago, so I don't have it in front of me. But if you Google it, you'll find the show with a woman who literally lived this nightmare. Her daughter was fine. She never would have overdosed. She fell off a porch, cut up her spine, was in a lot of pain. And they choked. They had already choked off prescriptions. So she had nowhere to go. She would have totally been fine with that. So she made a mistake and someone said, oh, this is just like a prescription, but really was fentanyl and she died. And it was all brought into Ohio by illegal aliens. And as I proved from her, she did a great data analysis. I did an article on this. The sanctuary counties in Ohio, every one of them to account has a much higher level of drug overdose fatalities. And folks, that's literally what happened here. They missed the timing. They did a lockdown when it was already too late. And they actually made it worse by locking down people for extended period of times indoors who were already infected. It was widespread. We now know an Italian hospital. This was an Italian news last night. An Italian hospital in Milan um, did a study and they tested antibodies from blood donors. And they found that 5% of that city, of Milan, had the antibodies on February 21st. That's two and a half weeks before they did lockdown. It was already 5%. That, that's a big number. It's not like, okay, it's a person here, a person there. 5% of a big city, that's a lot of people. And as I've discussed privately with certain epidemiologists that have dealt with serology tests, there are many, 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 many more false negatives with serology than false positives. In other words, they found a lot of people that did have it, the tests don't necessarily pick up the antibodies, but they had it already. It's a question whether they're immune, but they, but they had it. And it was already spreading asymptomatically forever. I mean, France is now talking about having cases in November. And again, remember... America has more travel to and from China than any European country. So if it was there, it was here. And we're now obviously finding cases in December, but I'm sure we're going to peel it back even further. So we missed the boat. It was already too late. And then what kept happening was we kept like going like a chicken without a head because we can't handle death in this country and we can't handle a reality that maybe there's nothing you can do public policy-wise. What we've learned from every single study, J.P. Morgan did a great study on this. I'll have an article out on this, where their analyst 
plotted every single state and every single country, and they found what we found, what we've been saying forever, that there is zero correlation between the duration and the um, severity of your lockdown, and the ones that ended it earlier actually saw better results. Each country had the same peak up and the peak down. It goes from six to eight weeks. Every country had the same results. How many people die in that peak? There's a lot of factors. It's your demographics. It's the population density. It's how many super spreading events you had. It is um, lifestyle. You know, Asians are much healthier than, than, you know, Americans, obviously, among African-Americans and Hispanics because of, you know, either genetic factors, lifestyle factors, health, health factors. They're more at risk. You know, and and each one, and in almost all of them, it's almost all people in nursing homes. Very, very tiny percentage of people outside of nursing homes relative to the population. And and that's it. That 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 that's the end of it. And what did we do? We didn't even protect the people that it that it affects, the nursing homes. Not only that, these governors killed them. The very Governors that most fervently locked down the entire society and spent all month obsessing about playing cops and robbers, you know, locking down shops with three people in them. Even outdoors where every scientific study has shown there's no transmission. They went and mandated, mandated that nursing homes take in patients that that test positive. This is exactly what they did with the opioid crisis. They let the drug traffickers out of jail. They brought in the illegal aliens. They had the sanctuary cities to harbor those networks. We had an explosion of illicit drugs in this country. And then they cut off pain medication and harmed so many stable pain patients who died from pain and other ailments or some who who turned to illicit drugs because they had no other choice and they died because of it. That's what government does. They take a problem that's minimal. They exacerbate it under the promise of creating a utopia, which God does not give us that option of having. And they create a living hell and they have the worst of all outcomes. That is exactly what we did here. A lot of people wonder how I could be so bold and go up against all the the science and the, the, the white coat lab people. Because those of you who have been with me for this entire decade know we've done this from day one. This is true. I see a lot of friends of mine that that I've become friends with that are in the scientific community that are like pulling their hair out. Like, why are these people lying to us? And I don't understand. I'm like, welcome to my world. We deal with this all the time. It's the same thing with global warming. It's the same thing with the opioid crisis. I know their tricks. It's the same game. And what is opioids? Treat the drug traffickers like heroes and treat doctors and pain patients like criminals and drug traffickers. The surveillance, it started with that. Now the medical surveillance is going to be crazy. Take away your privacy, unless, of course, to have, perform an abortion, then, you know, to kill a baby, then, of course, that's, you know, woman's you know, privacy, of course. And have all these treatment programs, spend a ton of money, bankrupt our country, create dependency, limit freedom, limit prosperity, it's always the same formula. And you don't even get the benefits. That's what we've seen here. That's the lesson from it. Europe doesn't do this garbage. 
They already have socialism, so they don't need a pretext. I mean, global warming, they're very into because that was old. That's been around for a while. So that was the original pretext to get socialism. They have socialism. They don't need the new one, the opioids and the, and the, and the, um, any other fear mongering. And now with the virus, they don't need that. The two central lies that they have used, um, on this thing are this. There's two key points that people are missing. Number one, the virus had already been spreading long before the lockdown, rendering most mitigation efforts moot, right? Once you let it in to your country, it's going to run its cycle. It's not going to matter what you do. That is what what we're seeing now. Okay? And number two is that even when you do a mitigation, there's no added value to doing a full lockdown like this is shut down you have no liberties left it's just common sense public education basic physical distancing you avoid the big giant super spreading events that's really what shows to has been shown to spread this stuff to make sure that the initial week or two you don't have uh, overrunning of the hospitals that is all you can do so you don't need that. You don't need that. The proponents of lockdowns are creating this false dichotomy of like, either you lock up every church with, you know, even with 20 people in it and every you know shop with a handful of people. Oh, but by the way, you could have the liquor stores open and have 500 people um, getting their emergency gardening, spring gardening uh, plants in, at Lowe's and whatever else under the sun they want to get at Walmart. Oh, that's that's totally okay. Again, because it's being pushed by cronyism, of course. See, in America, we don't we don't have socialism. We have venture socialism, where they get together with a couple of so-called private big conglomerates and they create a monopoly for them and screw everyone else under the guise of helping the little man. Very well researched column at Bloomberg used detail, a very detailed chart from Oxford University showing they have an index showing the severity and duration of the lockdowns in Europe by country. And by the way, Oxford from day one opposed Imperial College in terms of their study and their um, analysis of how deadly this was and how much a lockdown could help. Now, raise your hand if before this ordeal you ever heard of Oxford and raise your hand if you ever heard of Imperial College. OK, so I mean, like, it's not even us saying this. We had studies from MIT, we had um, Carnegie Mellon, we had Stanford, but no, they're, they're ignoring that all. But anyway, they put out of this index. So what she did here in this column, is her name is Elaine He, she compared those that index of severity and duration to you know, outcomes in terms of fatalities. And again, there was zero correlation. You had a bunch of countries with very severe lockdowns like Italy and Spain and France and Belgium that had horrible outcomes. You had countries like Sweden that did nothing and they had much better outcome than then. Now, they didn't have as good of an outcome as some other countries, but some of that has to do with demographics too. Sweden, most of it was two things. When you compare Sweden to Norway, Finland, and Denmark, yes, it's true Sweden is much bigger is much smaller than France, Italy, and um, Spain, but they are bigger 
than the other countries. And Stockholm is much more of a population density than like Oslo, Helsinki, and Copenhagen. So you would expect them to be somewhere in the middle, which is where they wound up being. Now, by the way, calculate how many people didn't die in Sweden due to the lockdown and then see who has more net deaths. That's another thing. Now, you do find Germany and Greece did do lockdowns and they had a better result. But again, the operative ingredient, as I mentioned, is not the severity because also they weren't as severe. Germany wasn't as severe as, as Italy and Spain and they had a better result. It was the dire- it was the timing. They did it much earlier. But again, you don't have to do a lockdown earlier. You do basic mitigation. A lot of people accuse me of, of not caring about COVID. Who is the person who told you in January, not March, not February, in January, we need to do basic mitigation? You're looking at him. <laughs> Yours truly. I lobbied so hard, worked with Senators Cotton and Hawley's office to get the Trump administration to shut off international travel. I knew it would be disruptive to the economy, but not a killer. Basic things we could have ensured that we would have let it in much less into the country and would have had more of a similar result to that of some of the Asian countries in Israel and Germany, which acted early. But again, Israel, everyone's like, oh, they did a lockdown. They had a great result. The operative point isn't the severity of what you did. It's that they acted early, but the lockdown was totally unnecessary. And that's why the Hebrew University researchers said it was stupid. And that's why they've moved away from it. And that's why all the European countries are moving away from it. But of course, in this country, we're doubling down on stupid. We're stuck on stupid, stuck on tyranny. I just want to note one point legally. There's this pathetic interview that's circulating from Alan Dershowitz saying that Massachusetts v. Jacobs, Jacobson in 1905, the Supreme Court case says because you know they allow you to do mandatory vaccination that you don't have constitutional rights and for public health, they could go and screw with you. So there's a couple of things to mention about that. That case actually proves our point, but we'll get to that last. First off, since when do we pull out one Supreme Court case? Like, do you know what was a couple of years before that? Plessy v. Ferguson that said separate but equal schools for blacks. I mean, is that, do we go with that? No. I mean, we've moved away from that precedent, right? So, you know, everyone recognizes that the Supreme Court is not God. And in fact, they kind of suck and they get things wrong all the time. And that's why we move away from them for better, for worse. Um, number two is we've specifically moved away from that because that was before we created this right to privacy. Now, I'm not saying I agree that there's a constitutional right to privacy in the way that, that the left applies it, but the Supreme Court is very emphatic about that. So we have long moved away from that since the 60s and 70s. So if they're saying that you have a right to privacy to literally take the human life up to nine months in your stomach but because of a right to privacy, you could take a fork and a suction and kill that baby, and you could have anyone perform it under any circumstances with no regulations whatsoever because that's a right. I mean, that, 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 that we're told is the most ironclad set, settled law in the case law in the Supreme Court. So you sure as hell can't tell me now that they have a right to vaccinate you, that you don't have a right to privacy just to merely abstain from that. That's number two. Number three 
vaccines. And I know, look, I, I can never win because no matter how hardcore I am, I always get people that are more hardcore and say, you know, so I'm going to get some of the anti-vax listeners. Uh, Daniel, how dare you? But, you know, especially, you know, that was talking about a smallpox, va- smallpox vaccine. There certainly is a lot more evidence of that working and achieving herd immunity, which is exactly actually what we are talking about now than the voodoo science of lockdown, which is now completely debunked. And we're way past the peak, so there's no legal uh, justification for what they're doing. So you cannot apply Jacobson even as is. But then there is another part of it. Jacobson pointed out, as did other Supreme Court precedents all the time, as I've noted so, so many times, that you cannot have arbitrary, capricious, absurd outcomes. Okay? So, the point is, um, where is this? I'm going to try to find some of these citations I have. But basically, you have to apply things uniformly. So, there's one thing, like, so... With smallpox, basically they're saying we're all going to die from smallpox, but if you have a vaccine, it totally immunizes everyone and it's gone. And it's uniform. We apply it 100% uniformly. I'm not saying I agree with the Supreme Court decision, but I'm just telling you that is a fact. Whereas here, if you want to say we're going to die, lockdowns work, so then you have to lock down everything, okay? If that's what you believe, if... If the, the severity of this disease and the utility of a lockdown in combating them is so clear and we're, we're having a holocaust that, that it justifies throwing 40 million people out of work and another 50 million people underemployed, killing people from heart attacks, strokes, a delayed cancer diagnosis, you name it, the mental health, shutting down a year of education. If it ju- justifies that, then dude, it justifies shutting the damn liquor stores and Lowe's Garden Services. Right? I mean, we either were dying or we're not. But it's a joke. So, constitutionally, it doesn't pass muster based on endless Supreme Court law, case law, to shut down barber shops and, 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 and bars that could much easily, easily abide by the, the crappy CDC regulations, even if you agree with them, than the big chain stores. Okay, that is an, that is, there is no answer to that. That is completely indefensible. Completely. Totally indefensible. The Supreme Court has said that on numerous occasions. Also, this is New York court, this is New York state law, so, I mean, it's a state Supreme Court from the 1800s. People, the people v. Peter W. Ruff. A quarantine law can't sentence all persons well or sick, whether exposed to infection or not, to an unlimited imprisonment. The public health is doubtless an interest of great delicacy and importance. Whatever power is in fact necessary to preserve it will be cheerfully conferred by the legislature and carried into full effect by the courts. But it can never be permitted that even for the sake of public health, any local inferior board or tribunal shall repeal statutes, suspend the operation of the Constitution, and infringe all the natural rights of citizens. So it's the scope of what they're doing. It's the arbitrary nature of it. That is not covered by Jacobson. See, I'm not even a freaking lawyer. You know, Alan Dershowitz is a big scholar. He, he, 
the, these guys suck at what they do. Like the celebrity TV lawyers, they suck at law. The scientists on TV, they don't know what they're talking about. They're the dumbest human beings alive. It's like they're so smart, they miss simple arithmetic, simple observations. And that's what it means to do public policy like I do. You put together a bunch of things. I knew the opioid crisis was a lie because I, I simultaneously studied at the highest levels the drug cartels, the border, sanctuaries, criminal justice, and I understood what was going on. It's the same thing here. That's how people who are on paper much smarter than me and have all these degrees that I don't have are susceptible to media lies more than I am. They're all being driven by media panic. It's not science driving the media. It's the media driving the pseudoscience. So that's the deal there. I mean, this is, this is an utter lie. An utter lie. You can't have an arbitrary quarantine of everyone. Quarantine means separating sick people from the general population. Jacobson is built off of Gibbons v. Ogden, 1824. That's one of the most famous landmark foundational cases. Um, it was Justice Marshall himself. Reasonable regulations can be established directly by legislative enactment as will protect the public health and public safety. They have to be reasonable. How in the world could you shut down outdoor facilities but have subways opened when, when, when the science shows the subway spread it like hell and there's no outdoor transmission. I mean, again, this gets back to the opioids. Let out the drug traffickers, spread the opioids, spread the meth and heroin and cocaine, and then clamp down on doctors and basic medicine and prescriptions. Same thing here. Shut down everyone's lives. Shut down parks, basically draping a tarp over it. You can't even look at it. But then, then keep the subways opened. And remember, there is a right to freedom of movement. There's a right to bodily integrity, not to have that freaking mask on your stupid face. There is a right to open your business, but there is no goddamn right to mass transit. I'm sorry. There's no right to mass transit. Shut it down. Frankly, it should be shut down permanently. We shouldn't be paying for that garbage. Spreads disease and it spreads crime, too. We have a society and a legal system that's perfectly dyslexic and immoral, illogical, and unconstitutional. I'm sorry about that. I'm just like, man, are these people retarded. But anyway, another landmark Supreme Court case, Shelton v. Tucker, 1960. Even when the government governmental purpose is legitimate and substantial. That purpose cannot be pursued by means that broadly stifle fundamental personal liberties when the end can be more narrowly achieved. This is the key point that you have to understand. Government can take away, can, here's the deal. <clears throat> Government can't target liberties directly. What they can do is pursue a much needed core state interest and if it happens to run into headwinds of personal liberties, it's okay if it's narrowly tailored. 
So again, if you read most state emergency statutes given governor's emergency powers, they're talking about floods and, and sometimes wildfires. So they have to come into a certain area. They got to deal with it. So they might have to commandeer an area and set up a command post so they can kick you out of your house. But it's not like we're declaring a shutdown of all houses and all you tailor it. And that's the key thing to this. You tailor it. It was a nursing home problem. The very same people who shut down everyone's lives kept the subways open. And then not only didn't they secure the subways, the, the, the nursing homes, they mandated that nursing homes had to take back COVID positive patients. Do you know who didn't do that? Ron DeSantis in Florida. I have an article out today. The triumph of a statesman. The triumph of a statesman. I'm honored to call him a friend. I endorsed him in the primary when he ran for house eight years ago. Nine years ago, <clears throat> I was proud to have him on the show when he was running for governor. I'm proud to be his friend. And believe me, I will be getting on his case. And if he doesn't agree, I'll talk to Casey, his wife. He will be running for president next time. Really, he should run this time. This man stood down the mob. I understand some of you from Florida are upset he did do some things. And look, I mean, he was under tremendous pressure. It's not like this is South Dakota. This is the third largest state by far the most seniors of anywhere. And they were calling him a murderer. He stood down. He did not ban church services, even when he had the stay-at-home order. And then he got out of it early. Hospitalizations are down 35%. Deaths are almost nil. And they're all inflated. And he has fewer nursing home deaths than any of those other states because he focused on them. He got the National Guard to deal with them. He banned, he actually prohibited hospitals from transferring patients there. That's what it means to be targeted. Not only don't you infringe on liberty, but you save more lives from what you're doing. So all these people that tell me, oh, I want to save lives. I'm being careful. You can go straight to hell and you will. Because you are the ones who killed more people from COVID as well as from everything else from the lockdown. Because you can't run out like a chicken without a head and shut everything down. That's not how life works. You target a problem. And again, this problem is unbelievably targeted. It's confined to a population largely that we're going to die anyway within a year. About two-thirds. Do you know who said that, by the way? Niall Ferguson. <laughs> don't, don't quote me. This is the author of the Imperial College panic study that destroyed the world. This was in his testimony before a UK parliamentary committee. <clears throat> quote, by the end of the year, what proportion of those people who would have died from COVID in the UK would have died anyhow? He asked rhetorically, it might be as much as half to two thirds of the deaths we're seeing from COVID because it's affecting people who are either at the end of their li lives or in poor health conditions. So I think these considerations are very valid. Now, I want to make very clear, I am pro-life. I'm not saying not to care about them, just the opposite. We should throw everything we have and we should have thrown everything we have at the nursing homes. 
But the, but the reality is they are the ones that didn't care. Oh, they're going to die anyway. So they killed them and then they used and obfuscated the data to blow up the top line death numbers. Say, oh, this is terrible and use that as a pretext to destroy the entire country, dis- destroy our prosperity, destroy our liberty, destroy lives of other patients that, that are so scared. I have these neighbors, they're, ter- they're terrified. They're like locking up their parents. Like I know someone who's, um, has a parent who's, She's maybe 72. She's a widow. I don't think she has any underlying conditions. She's not 90. She's like 72. She's she's pretty good health. And she's a female, by the way. There's a huge gender gap among seniors. A female without conditions at 72 out of a nursing home? Most people don't know this. Everyone thinks, if you're anywhere like over 60, you're dead. No. 90%, if not 100% of senior deaths in most states are in nursing homes. Nursing homes aren't just seniors. They're seniors that die within five months is the median death. There's plenty of people in their 70s that have many more years on them. It's an elevated risk above us who are in our 30s or 40s. But, and the good news is that they don't need to go out to work and for example, if you're a physician still practicing and you're you know, 65, 70, yeah, they'll take you off the floor so you don't treat COVID patients, big viral load, 100% positive patients there. So, you know, obviously you're not going to expose them to that much. You take cer- certain levels, but the notion you can't go to a park, skies are telling me they're, they're not allowing her out of her home and her vitamin D levels plummet, the depression sets in, they're, they're going to waste. I mean, there's so much data on this. And studies done that everyone agrees to. That's how they wind up dying earlier needlessly. It's disgusting. That government is not putting out this data. Let let me me read something to you. Let me read something to you based on Social Security Administration data. Okay? From Social Security Administration. These are average yearly probability of death. So every person, there is a certain chance that within the year you are going to die. For example, um, if for every year above 90, right, there's literally a 25% chance you're going to die within that year, which makes sense. If you're between 80 and 89, there's an average of an 8.5% chance you're going to die. Okay, in any, any given year. So we already said, what is your chance of dying from COVID? Right? What is your chance of dying from COVID if you get it? Okay. Now, remember, the numbers I'm going to tell you, and I wish I had video here to give you the chart, but the numbers I'm going to tell you here are not even your chance of dying of COVID. It's more specific than that. Because that presupposes there's two steps. A, are you going to get COVID? And then if you get COVID, what chance do you have of dying i'm just going to give you the rate that you 100 percent you're going to get it assuming you get it what is your chance of dying but if you peel it back the the ratio of you dying from covid is even lower because who says you're going to get it especially with the precautions you take so anyway so the numbers are going to be even lower than this but if you take the spain serology test i'm, I'm just using spain because they break it out by age more specifically than any other country did I'm going to read it to you right now. Okay? Basically, basically, kids 0 to 9, 
okay? Every year, there's a 0.073% chance that they are going to die, okay, within that year of anything, okay, of, of anything. There is, so that so what is that? that that's something like one in 7,000, okay? <clears throat> one in 7,000. Their, their IFR, infection fatality rate, is 0.002%. Okay, that's, that, that's an entire decimal over. So if 0.1 is 1 in 1,000, right, and 1 decimal over, 0.01 is 1 in 100,000. Okay, this is like something close to 2 in a million, so roughly a 1 in 7,000 chance of dying in general for a kid under 10 and a, and a 1 in a 500,000 chance of dying from COVID. And that's assuming you get it. 10 to 19, there is a 0.033 chance of dying generally. It's actually less. Believe it or not, you go down because you know you have the infant mortality and things like that. You go down. What about from COVID? 0. 0.003. Okay? So roughly 1 in 300,000 chance of dying from COVID and like a 1 in 33,000 chance of dying in general. We shut the schools for a risk that is not only lower than the flu, it's a risk of getting struck by freaking lightning. This is pure fact. And by the way, the serology tests really understate the true number of people that got the got COVID, like I talked about yesterday. You have to go to conservativereview.com or just Google conservative review Daniel Horowitz, and then my name will come up, and you could click on my name. You'll see the chronology of my articles. You could read them all. You'll see the factors are even, even more. Remember, so most of the deaths are occurring in nursing homes, and most of those are people with hospice care, and then a good number of them are inflated. They're lied about. And if they're not lied about, they have comorbidities. So remember, if you are a healthy young person, you can't take the numerator and put it into a general denominator because it is so heterogeneous. This is not just me. Mainstream researchers, if you all the studies, they're saying this now. If you take the politics out. Okay, this is a very targeted problem. And you go up and up. People in their 20s, 0.01% chance of dying of COVID. Okay? That is 1 in 10,000. Yet, you're already at roughly 1 in 1,000, believe it or not, chance of dying in your 20s. 30s, you are at... Where are we? Something like one in, let's say, 700 or so chance of dying, not, not living out the year in general. And you are maybe one in, one in 50,000 to die from COVID. 40s, about maybe one in 40,000 die from COVID. Yet... If you are in your 40s, believe it or not, you have a 0.2% chance of not living out the year. 
It's actually, if you do the math, it, it winds up being less than one in a hundred chance of dying. In your 50s, well, <clears throat> then you're already up to, um, I don't know, I mean, one in 300 chance of, of not living out the year. Even then, COVID, it's maybe one in 900. Even people in the 60s, listen to this. The IFR is near 0.5. Close to, let's say you round up, it's 0.48, close to 0.5. Even people in their 60s. But there's a 1.2% chance you won't live out the year. There's So to put it another way, there's almost, almost three, you're almost three times more likely in general to not live out the year in your 60s than to die from COVID. There's already 1.3%. Of people in their 60s. Okay. You know. That's. That's. um, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I, I can't do the math off. Hey. Was that like 1 in 80 or something? Whereas here it's not. I mean. Well Daniel. What about people in their 70s? Okay. Well in your 70s. You have a 3% chance. Of not living out your year. In any given year. You have a 1.6% chance. Of dying from COVID. That's a high IFR, but just put that in perspective. That's that's about half. Okay? Oh, Daniel, what about 80-year-olds? Come on. You're right. You're right. It's a very high IFR for people in their 80s. Very high. Your chance of dying from COVID is 5.8%. But your chance of not living out the year in general is 8.5%. People over 90, you have a 10% chance of dying of COVID. 25% chance of not living out a year. Folks, we destroyed our country for a lie. And we didn't even protect the most vulnerable when we actually could have protected them so much better. It pains me. It pains me to know this. You know, as it says in, in, in Ecclesiastes, if you increase knowledge, you increase anger. And I guess that's what it is. It's just, it's just maddening. I wish, I wish I was blissful like anyone. Oh, we're all going to die. This is great. Trump needs to fight back against this stuff. We are worse off than Europe. And the reason we are worse off than Europe is because the left needs to use this to fight Trump. But the problem is Trump is not fighting back enough. He just kind of like, if you notice, he's kind of quiet. He needs to promise not another penny of funding for the states unless they end the tyranny. They need to put restrictions on contact tracing, on surveillance. It's all got to be in there. That is his leverage. We're going to talk about that more in the coming days. We might have a guest on tomorrow. Remember, Freedom Friday, open your shops. If you don't have one, find out who is opening them. Go to openthestates.com, support them. Go to our network at Minutemen Speak Easy on Facebook or Harwood Citizen Sanctuary. Drop a comment. Um, you could request to be invited. We will invite you to our private page. Always, always send me an email at dharowitz at blazemedia.com. Tweet me at Conservative. Till, till tomorrow. Let freedom ring.